Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. My guest today is Leander de Lyle, who has written the Tudors of Family History, which I'm holding up right here. And I always begin this podcast with asking, how, how did the Tudors come into your sphere of influence, interests? Um, well, I studied history uh, at Oxford University, and um, I always found the Stuarts and the Tudors particularly interesting period. Um, my first two books um, were on, well, my first book was on um, the death of Elizabeth I and the ex- Session of the first Stuart King of England, who was already King of Scotland. Um, and um, then um, I did a book on um, these rivals to Queen Elizabeth I. And this made me interested in the whole Tudor succession. So I thought I'd do the history of the whole family. Most people tend to begin with kind of Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn and the Reformation, but I went right back to the very beginning of the dynasty. Um, to Henry VII's grandfather, who was this ordinary Welsh bloke uh, who uh, got drunk at a party and fell into a queen's lap. And so this extraordinary story of this remarkable family and dynasty began. It's quite, in that one of these coincidences, what if he never went to that party and never, how different history might have been if if this never happened. But let's talk about how because it wasn't was it frowned upon that a commoner, as you described him, kind of married the queen. Um, yes, it certainly was a frowned on. Um, and the fact that he was Welsh was even more frowned on. That they had they were considered to be racial differences between the Welsh and the English, despite the fact they share an extremely small island. Um, and um, so uh, that was also disapproved of, and it was the information was in fact kept from her son by her first marriage, who was um, to, um, uh, you know, the King of England who had uh, died. She was a widow when she married this guy, Owen Tudor. Uh, And when her her son, who was King Henry VI, found out, uh, Owen Tudor was in fact at first, was was, when he found out when his mother was dying, um, Owen Tudor was put in prison for um, marrying her without royal permission. Uh, and escaped from prison, in fact, and it was all very sort of dramatic. He was an extraordinary sort of figure, really. But eventually he reconciled with his stepson and became a very loyal subject of his stepson. So what 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 is what's it let's talk about quickly the War of the Roses, which eventually led to the Tudor rise of the Tudors of course. I believe it was the Lancasters at the time. Yes, that's right. Yes, Henry the Sixth was a Lancastrian and he suffered from mental illness. Um, and um, which obviously sort of weakened the crown and raised the ambitions of the opposing House of York. And this really started the uh, Wars of the Roses. Owen Tudor was a loyal supporter 
of Henry VI, the Lancastrian cause, um, and was eventually indeed, well, killed was would be one way of putting it, murdered really in cold blood was would be another way of putting it, which was a sort of rather nasty habit they had in the Wars of the Roses. Military commanders were captured, they were often just taken off and uh, executed in cold blood, and that is in fact uh, what happened to Owen Tudor. But he had already had um, several children by uh, his uh, wife, the Queen, the late Queen, uh, the, who were the half-brothers of the Lancastrian king, Henry VI. And they were also loyal supporters of Henry VI. And these were Tudors, of course, these these mm. young men. Because as you know, I believe Richard III, who is famously portrayed by Shakespeare, would take over... Yes, that's right. Trade. That's right. Because the York, House of York won. They defeated Henry VI under Edward IV. They defeated Henry VI and murdered him in the tower. Uh, and then Edward IV, who was this sort of tall, striking, handsome figure, great warrior, very looked very like his and became fat as he got old, looked very like his grandson, um, the man who would turn out to be his grandson, the future Henry VIII. But anyway, he died young. Um, and um, leaving these two young boys and um, the the mother of these two young boys, the wife of Edward IV, tried to sort of seize control uh, and failed. Richard III, the future Richard III, um, basically uh, forced her into hiding and... Um, um, and and the, the the two princes, the two princes, the two his nephews, the two children of Edward the Fourth were put in the tower where they infamously disappeared, mm. never to be seen again. Aged, I think, nine and twelve from memory. It's it's quite a controversial event that the princes in the tower. And what what is your take on this? What what do you think happened? Do you think they were murdered or just sent to exile, never to be seen again? I'm quite sure they were murdered. Um, it was the th- the thing is that people didn't have to look at things the way how the way things worked at the time rather than their fantasies mm. about how things are now and how the fact there's shock horror. There are no photographs of Richard the Third, you know, wielding a sort of baton and banking bonking them on the head or anything. Mm. Um, and the way things worked was that if one king uh, took took control and threw, overthrew another king, mm. king number one, i.e., the one that was overthrown, you know, rarely lived long. And um, and uh, but they weren't they weren't just sort of publicly murdered. So what would happen is that um, they would they would essentially be murdered. But then it would be given out that they had died of natural causes. In the case of Henry the Sixth, for example, when he was murdered in the tower, it was said that he had died of grief and rage. Um, so um, what was unusual was not that these two princes were murdered, as they surely were. Um, but they disappeared because what what would normally have happened, it would have been said, oh, they died of you know plague or a head cold or grief and rage or whatever. And then their bodies would be laid out and then all their supporters would have to accept that you know there was no point in fighting on and they would then unite around the new king. The reason this didn't happen in this case um, was because of what had happened after the murder of Henry VI which was that unexpectedly, the people of England have felt very sorry for poor old Henry VI, who was, as I said, mad. And so they decided that he was an, an innocent, which is the way they saw sort of people who were um, often, if they if you were had Down syndrome, for example, in those mm. days, they, they would describe you as an innocent. 
Mm. Which meant that you were really incapable of sin. You were you had a sort of purity about you because you were simple. Um and um and so they sort of Henry the Sixth this way, and and they declared that he was a saint and they would pray to him, and um miracles were reported. And he became the the, the heart of a huge cult, which has since been forgotten because we you know, because of the Protestant Reformation, the cult of this saint king has been forgotten. But for, for Richard III, it was a sort of living reality, and he did not want this to happen with the princes, uh, particularly as they were just children, and he did not want to be cast in the role of Herod. Um, and um, so um, it was simpler for the princes just to disappear. But of course, the head of the, the, the their mother had to be told because she had to sort of call off her supporters. But anyway, it back, essentially it all backfired on Richard III, and caused huge anger. And a lot of the supporters of Edward IV, the dead father of these princes, rose up against Richard III and fought with um, Henry VI's, you know, half-nephews, these are step-nephews, these um, Tudors, other Henry Tudor, um, as he was then the future Henry VII. Um, and, um, you know, eventually at the Battle of Bosworth, um, Henry Tudor, Henry Seventh, as he became defeated, Richard the Third in battle, the king was killed, and uh, Henry the, became Henry the Seventh, the first Tudor king. Hmm. So let's talk about the reign of Henry the Seventh because he's he starts out quite decently. He seemed to be a decent king at first, the first half of his reign at least. Well, um, I mean, none of these people were exactly sort of cozy individuals. Um, hmm. He put there was the plan. This he he put this little Plantagenet. There was one plant. There was a Plantagenet heir still left, i.e., from the House of York, um, and that was um, another of another nephew of Edward the Fourth, uh, another nephew of Richard the Thirds, um, the son of the Duke of Clarence, the Earl of Warwick, and uh, he was put in the tower. He's just a little boy. He was put in the tower like the other princes before him. He wasn't murdered. Um, I think that obviously hadn't gone well for Richard III, so this little boy wasn't murdered, at least not for a long time. Um, but um, he, but he grew up, and Henry VII was facing problems from um, pretenders who were pretending to be one of the lost princes in the tower because Henry VII's enemies needed someone to rally around, and so you know they sort of just sort of produced some sort of random boy from Europe and claimed he was. Uh, um, the younger of the princes in the tower, uh, a man called Lambert Simnel. And eventually he was captured, put in the put in the tower with the genuine Plantagenet nephew. Um and um Henry the Seventh and Henry the Seventh at this stage wanted to marry his own son, the eldest son, Arthur, to the uh, daughter, Catherine of Aragon, of of, of the dual monarchs of Spain. Um, and the, the Spanish were saying, oh, we don't know if we want to marry our daughter to Arthur, because how secure are you on the throne when there's this heir, this Plantagenet heir still alive? And so what Henry VII did is he got a sort of fake estate uh, escape attempt um, done and used this as an excuse to execute both Lambert Simnel and this innocent Plantagenet young man who had been in the tower since childhood. And the story was, the story became later, interestingly, that this cursed 
the, the Tudor line. At this stage, he had two sons. He had Arthur, he had Henry. Um, and it was said that the curse was that um, they would never have any more male heirs that hmm. grew to adulthood. And of course, Arthur died um, shortly after he married Catherine of Aragon. And I think Henry VII was very worried about this being seen as a, as a, as a punishment from God for what he had done in executing this, this Plantagenet boy. We have, um, we have to remember that people were very superstitious back then, that this, even though it sounds silly today, it's, people were suspicious and took this quite seriously. This uh, is quite seriously. Oh yes, they took the, exactly took it very seriously, and in a way, it reflected a reality, which is that people were genuinely horrified that this Plantagenet boy uh, had been executed, essentially an act of judicial murder. It hadn't gone unnoticed. People thought, why had this boy been executed like this? Um, and superstitious or not people now even now they expect some form of justice and if you can't get it through mm. the courts people think about fate or karma mm. or whatever um and um so it was interesting that it was at this stage that all these stories came out about how richard the third had supposedly ordered the murder of the princess in the tower because i think he wanted to deflect attention from his own actions um, and his own involvement in the death of the this other little prince in the tower, which no one who no one or few people now remember. Mm. Um, but who has descendants who some people think of as the rightful king of England even now? Something I wanted to go back to you and ask when, when Henry VII took the throne, did he have a right to the throne or was it looked on as an usurper to the throne? I'm sorry, I have to can I just go back a bit? I was quite wrong. Yeah. There. Um, I just want to say, no, this boy, the Earl of Warwick, does not have descendants. The de current descendants are from his sister. Sorry, I just wanted to co correct a, That's a, fine. a wrong statement I'd made. So what was your question? Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, so, you know, I want to go back as well a wee bit because, you know, as Henry VII took the throne, I forgot to ask this, and uh, was he looked at an usurper to the throne or did he have the right to the throne by his father? No, he had no right to the throne. His mother... Um, was from the house of uh, Lancaster, um, but um, he so he had royal blood, um, but it, it was illegitimate, and um, through his his mother came from an illegitimate line. So no, he had no blood right to the throne really, um, but he had the right of conquest, and with which as people forget, you know, royal rights comes in different. Way. He had the right of conquest. He had defeated Richard the Third. But what? So what he did? So a lot of people say, "Oh, he murdered the princes in the tower because he, I don't know why, because he had no right, or and he was worried about their right, or whatever." Um, but actually, um, he never claimed the throne in right of his wife because he married the sister of the princes in the mm -hmm. tower. He is a, that is a misunderstanding. He married the sister of the princess in the tower, certainly because he wanted the House of York, the supporters of the House of York to support him. He did not marry her to use her blood to claim the throne or because obviously if she died, um, it, it mean, he, he would have no rights. So um, he said that God had chosen him and that Henry VI, who don't forget, everyone believed was it well, many people in England believed was a saint. Um, and whose cult he encouraged, um, that Henry VI had predicted his reign, had foretold it, had been prophesied, 
And so essentially, he had been chosen by God. He was also um, confirmed as king by parliament. And one thing people don't really understand is that in England, and indeed the monarchs themselves didn't really, um, certainly didn't, didn't like to advertise the fact, but actually kings and indeed queens of England have essentially been parliamentary appointments appointees since at least this time and perhaps even back to the reign of Edward IV um, because Parliament you know would say yes this is our king which they did with Henry VII so he was king by right of Parliament by right of conquest and he would say that God had chosen him. So he wasn't like usurping the throne well, he was usurping the throne, but he had lots of excuses mm. for it. Yeah. <laughs> he managed to, that's he fair. managed to afterwards justify it. Yeah, you know. that's fair. <laughs> but let's talk about his marriage, because he, he was genuinely in love, and it was heartbreaking for him when his wife did die during, as I said, half, about half of his reign. He was quite in love with her, from what I remember. Yes, I think he was in love with her. I think, you know, he had a very hard life. Um, he was... Do you know, um, Edward IV tried to kill him when he was only a boy of sort of 13. He had to leave um, Britain and flee uh, to Europe um, and had a long and lonely um, existence um, before his marriage in his uh, late 20s. And um, the, the beginning of that marriage must have been quite tricky, um, but uh, for, for many reasons. But um, she was very beautiful. Elizabeth Wood, uh, not Elizabeth Woodville. Elizabeth Woodville was the his mother-in-law. I'm sorry, um, Elizabeth of York. She was very beautiful, um, and um, probably very intelligent. Um, both her parents certainly were. Um, and yes, he he certainly did love her and was devastated when she died in childbirth. And she died in childbirth because she tried to have another baby after Arthur died, and she became pregnant and she died in childbirth, and the child died too. And that's quite where it started to go downhill for the reign of Henry VII, isn't it? Yes. Um, I think that, yes, I mean, but I suppose he had he had this other boy, you know, the future Henry VIII um, to raise up. But yes, he was becoming, he became very ill and and um, predeceased his mother, in fact, um, and died. But uh, yeah, well, I don't know if he was, he had a lot of problems in his reign because he had to face several rebellions. But, you know, at the end, he said he became more unpopular, began raising more taxes. He was not liked. He was disliked. He was not a popular Mm. king. And we have to remember as well, I I believe that War of the Roses wasn't over just because he gained the throne. He went on for quite some time after. Yes, absolutely. They were the heirs of the House of York. Um, various um, more distant heirs than the one that he'd he'd had he'd had um, executed. Um, yes, they did, they, and they went on. In fact, ha- having attempts on the throne in, well into the reign of Henry VIII uh, until until they were finally defeated in the fifteen twenties, from memory. So let's talk about the, the takeover because of oh, yeah, Henry VIII. They are settled in the elephant to the in the room. So let's talk about what everyone mostly probably know from the Tudor dynasty. That he is arguably the most famous king from there. So that so he he was quite cruel king, wasn't it? Yes, 
Henry VIII, I think he was very like his grandfather, Edward IV, as I said. So when he was young, he was incredibly popular because he was he was everything a king was supposed to be. He gen, he was not a user, but he did have royal blood. He was, you know, through his mother, he had all this and looked very like Edward IV. He was very good looking. He was very athletic. Um, he was very charming. He was very convivial. He was very musical. Um, he was everything that a king was supposed to be. He seemed when he was young. Um, he was incredible. He wanted to be a great king. Um, he he admired. Uh, he greatly um, the, Henry V and the stories of um, the Hundred Years' War. And he wanted to reconquer France, which had been lost by Henry VI, mm. um, and um, become a great king through conquest at which he sort of failed utterly, it has to mm. be said. But he went on trying <laughs> right up to the end, pretty much, well into the 1540s. Let's talk about the education of Henry VIII, because it was the typical royal ed- education. And it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was, as it explained, simple. It was some was quite, was kind of intelligent, I would say. Oh, yes, he was certainly highly intelligent. Intelligent and educated, yes. No, he was, he, you know, yeah, no, he was not a stupid man at all. Far from it. Hmm. Because it was, you had to, you had to learn quite a lot when you were common, trying to be common You know, the Latin was a common kind of what English is today, I suppose, when you communicate with other royal courts. That Latin was the language they used, so you had to learn Latin. He had to. It was if I remember correctly, I'd like to mention he was fascinated by history and he wanted to learn history. Yes, and well, don't and, forget his father was more comfortable speaking French than English, hmm. having been spent most of his life in France. Um, so, um, yes, it, uh, 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 absolutely. Um, and he was a good picker of men. I mean, you know, he knew he was a he was a he was a good picker of men. And I mean, cho- in choosing Woolsey, for example, as his leading minister, um, who was uh, a brilliant um, administrator, he you know did well there. He was a good picker of men, mm. and ruthless when he needed to be ruthless, utterly ruthless, as time would show. Let's talk about his accession. To, sorry, accession to the throne, and. Uh... Well, after his father's death, when he and his first marriage, of course, which would be the first of many, many marriages. Yes, to Catherine of Aragon, yes. Again, he wanted an alliance. He wanted a military alliance against France. That's why he married Catherine of Aragon. But he loved her genuinely um, and uh, was very happy with her for a time. But, of course, the fact that she didn't, well, she did have a son, but she didn't have any sons who lived to adulthood, um, it was was dangerous. It weakened him, mm. um, and he was very aware of that. And he, and he was also a very arrogant man. And he wanted to, you know, he could have ha- married um, his daughter Mary to somebody. Um, difficult to know who, though, because then they may have become a dangerous rival. Um, and. As he said, what he wanted to have a son, as you know, like other men, you know, he he wanted, you know, he wanted to have a male, he wanted to have a male, and he was determined to get one, one way or another. Does this come back again to the curse that was supposedly was given to over the over the Absolutely. Tudor reign? One of the because there was another royal cousin of his, the Duke of Buckingham, who um was 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 quite was very interested in this curse, and Henry 
I didn't trust him and heard that um, um, that uh, the Duke of Buckingham had been sort of, you know, talking about this curse with people and, and had him executed. Um, um, so, yes, so that was, yes. So I'm sure Henry was aware, but he didn't believe it. He decided that the curse was that he had married the wrong wife. Mm. Unfortunately, he chose the wrong argument at the wrong time. Um, you know, there would have, would have been other ways he could have got his divorce um, or not in divorce because he never believed in divorce. It was a, his marriages were and his divorces were annulments. He never had a divorce. He disapproved of divorce till the day he died. So actually, it's wrong to describe it as divorce. But he wanted his marriage to Catherine of Aragon annulled. Mm-hmm. Um, and when the Catholic Church wouldn't give it to him in the way that he wanted it, um, he he essentially broke away and um, nationalized the church, the Catholic Church. He was not a Protestant. This is a misunderstanding. And indeed, he burned Protestants, sort of proto-Protestants at stake mm. till the day he died, pretty much. But he, he, but he sort of, he made himself Pope in England, basically, is what he did. Mm. That is an element. Yeah, let's talk about the divorce and I, I, or annulment. Well, let's let's say from from the Pope and the Catholic line, because and um, the forming of the Church of England under Henry VIII's reign. Yes. Um, well, it wasn't being reformed anyway, because this was this was um, a time when reform was coming. And indeed, the Council of Trent began. The first meeting of the Council of Trent was in the 1540s, when Henry VIII was still on the throne. That would, you know, that would um, uh, that took many decades, but would lead to um, reforms in the Catholic Church and eventually the Counter Reformation. But um, uh, yes, so. So yeah, exactly. So he was leading various reforms, um, but he was a conservative. So he still believed in the Catholic Mass, um, as I said, um, very against divorce. And interestingly, the Church of England, even when it did become Protestant, did not allow divorce until about twenty years ago, um, which is, I think, pretty much unique amongst Protestant churches. Um, and in many ways, it was easier to get an annulment in the Catholic Church mm-hmm. than to remarry in the Church of England, um, which was a sort of slightly weird situation down the centuries. But that um, is the way things panned out. Um, he never liked Luther. Um, and indeed, eventually, the Church of England, um, when it when it became Protestant in the reign of his son, um Really, they were followers of they were they were reformed Protestants, which you know, like John Calvin, not Luth, not Lutherans. But anyway, that's another story. But um, Henry VIII, yes. So they got rid of all the monasteries. Um, partly, um, and started with the reform of the monasteries, which you know that which had always happened. But then they just got rid of them all. And Charles, oh, not Charles, um, Henry, all the land was essentially made royal land, or he bought off his supporters. So all the church, church, not all the church, but the most church land ended up in either the king's pocket or in the pocket of leading mm. nobles. Someone who forgot to mention, and this will become important later, of course, is that he had a daughter by Catherine of Aragon, which would be Mary the First. Yeah, Mary the First, yes. So let's talk about international relations, because he do meet quite some some great kings of and emperors of the era among them, France, and they do try to form international relations among them, like you said, I don't know, 
Charles V and, of course, Francis I of France. Yes, I mean, it was interesting. It was interesting. I mean, Henry VIII was wanted to protect when he had, because, you know, he had Mary. And then when he married Anne Boleyn, he had another daughter, the future Elizabeth I. And then finally, um, um, he had, through his third wife, Jane Seymour, he had um, um, Edward VI, the future Edward VI. Um, and so when this little, after this little boy was born, he was determined to protect him. And he was very aware of what had happened to the princes in the tower, of course. And so he didn't want any powerful royal. So he kept both his daughters as spinsters, unmarried. Uh, he also kept them illegitimate. In the 1540s, um, as, he, as he was old and he realized he wasn't going to live forever, he put them back in line of succession after his son, but interestingly kept them illegitimate. Um, and I think it's because he wanted them weak. He didn't want any strong heirs. He didn't want anybody who might do a Richard III, basically, on, on, on his son, Edward. So these girls, these two princesses, were kept as spinsters. They were kept illegitimate, um, having been made illegitimate after their, his marriages to their mothers were annulled. Um, and um, he, he then also um, downgraded the Stuart line of his sister, um, Margaret of uh, Margaret of uh, Scotland, who had married the King of Scots, so that they were put below the line of his English sister, who only had uh, daughters and granddaughters. So, because he wanted them weak, he wanted just weak female heirs. He didn't want any male heirs or uh, to his to his to his own son. No threat. Um, and ironically, but ironically, when he died power was seized by the non-royal nephews, rather as the Woodvilles had tried to seize power on the death of Edward VI, Edward IV, so on the death of Henry VIII, Edward VI's non-royal uncles took power. Hmm. So, but let's talk about the internet, like, what I mean, because it does seem to get quite lo long, well, well along with Charles V and, and like Henry Francis I of England, France, not England, but which it, their, their relationship kind of goes, that doesn't go well, because as I remember reading on Francis' first biography, he does beat Henry VIII in a wrestling match, and he's kind, yes. kind of insulted well, by that. You have to remember that um, in England, I think because of the Armada, people remember this Anglo-Spanish rivalry. But in fact, the great rivalry was not at this time between England and Spain, but between England and France historically because of the Hundred Years' War. Um, this That was the great rivalry. So naturally, um, Henry would have looked to other powers um, to help him against France. France was the great rival. France mm. was the great enemy. People forget. So, but but what? But it does, like you said, he does go along quite well with Charles V. They seem to have a decent relationship, and there is new book covering this, as I got told of that. I'm glad to read it eventually, but where they covered the relationship with Henry VIII and Charles V. Ah, yes. Well, I mean, absolutely, and he. Um, Yes, for a time, but of course, that after, when with the divorce, with the annulment of his marriage to Catherine of Aragon, that, that the relationship didn't go so well at that point. Hmm. So, 
you mentioned Anne Boylan. I want before we move on. I want to talk, of course, about uh, because she's arguably one of the, one of the most famous two hundred eights wife. She has several books written about her, and she has she's arguably if people talk about hundred eight, they I pr- they probably don't mention Anne Boylan because she is. Like I said, she is the most one, but probably comes first to mind of people when they think about Henry VIII's wives. Yeah. Yes, um, she was a fascinating woman, um, Anne Boleyn, a tragic figure, really, um, trapped into this marriage with Henry VIII. Um, I think she'd probably much rather have been married to. Um, a great aristocrat like in Northumberland. Um, but um and then proved, you know, as unable to produce a or you know, failed to produce a, a son just as Catherine of Aragon did. Um, but mm-hmm. in her case, of course, she wasn't royal. Um, and she was just a British subject. Uh, sorry, an English subject. Um there was no British subject in those days. She was a subject of, uh, she was an English subject and um, quite relatively easy to dispose of. Still shocking, though, that they chopped off the head of a queen. Mm. And she would, of course, be the mother, like you said, of Elizabeth I. Yes, absolutely. She was the mother of of of, of Elizabeth I. Mm. Um, and so, although she was condemned very much in her lifetime, was not and was very unpopular in her lifetime. She is uh, perceived differently um, through the prism of her the daughter, the reign of her great daughter mm. Elizabeth. Mm. So we have to move on, of course, and we have have to talk about the end of Henry's eighth reign because he did, did get quite big big at the end of his reign, and he his well, how how did the succession go from? His one and only son, because he was quite young at the time of Henry VIII. He was nine. He was nine. Um, Well, essentially, you know, the the power was seized by his uncle, who made himself Duke of Somerset, and um, he introduced and indeed imposed a reformed Protestantism on England, which was a very conservative country religiously. There were there was a major rebellion, the so-called Prayer Book Rebellion. Um, which was crushed. They brought in foreign mercenaries to do it, Italian, Italians and Germans. Um, and um, But then, um, when he was only 15, it became evident that he was dying, probably of tuberculosis. And uh, the people who were then running the show um, were confronted with the fact that Edward's heir was his Catholic half-sister, Mary Tudor. And they needed to try and prevent this. And so Edward um, was persuaded or, I mean, because it seems unlikely to come entirely out of his own head, to um, bequeath the throne to his cousin, to a very junior cousin called Lady Jane Grey. He excluded Elizabeth as well as Mary because the pretext for excluding Mary was that she was illegitimate. And Elizabeth Tudor, although Protestant, was also illegitimate. So they were both excluded and the throne was left to Lady Jane Grey, who was married off to uh, Guilford Dudley because they couldn't really conceive of a queen ruling on her own. Mm. Um, And um, Guilford Dudley, who was the uh, son of the Duke of Northumberland, would would, would probably have, if things had gone on long enough, would would have been would have been king. Mm. 
But it wouldn't go like that, of course. No, because um, Mary Tudor was a very remarkable woman. Um, she had uh, had 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 as her governess the last Plantagenet, who was a woman, who uh, the Countess of Salisbury, who ran her ran her own estates as a man would. Um, her mother, of, of course, was the daughter of Isabel of Castile, great warrior queen of Spain, um, and uh, Mary Tudor was extremely remarkable. So. On the death of Edward VI in the accession of Lady Jane Grey, or Lady Jane Dudley, as she was, in fact, as Queen Jane, the Spanish, the imperial ambassadors, wrote her off and said, oh, it's all hopeless, you know, nothing we can do. We just have to accept things. Uh, but um, Mary, the, Mary Tudor had rather more balls than the imperial ambassador, and um, she um, led, you know, raised an army against... Um, against uh, Queen Jane. And in fact, her defeat of Queen Jane and her supporters was the, I think, only example of this entire, and the entire Tudor period of somebody defeating the central power, which is what she did. And she had popular support for this mm. and um, became queen. But then, like you said earlier, she was in a illegitimized by Henry VIII because of the yeah. annulment of Catherine. So how did she justify being in the deemed well, it had always been it had always been very dubious because she was the in 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 law in um church law at this time and um if your parents had had genuinely believed that they had a right to marry when they married even if your marriage was subsequently annulled, the children were, were remained legitimate. Hmm. So she had been made illegitimate um, and Henry had used an act of parliament to do it, but it never really had any basis in canon law. And so she was able to reverse this and parliament lifted the illegitimacy. So she, so this, this illegitimate uh, slur was um, removed. Hmm. Um Interestingly, Elizabeth I never dared do that because her circumstances were very different. Um, her parents' marriage was annulled before Anne Boleyn was executed. We don't know the grounds, but we suspect it was that Henry had said that, had admitted that he had had an affair with Mary Boleyn, Anne Boleyn's sister, before they married, and that this um, would have made the marriage um, illegitimate. Um, and as he knew this perfectly well, when he married Anne, as in, and indeed Anne knew it perfectly well, um, this meant that um, Elizabeth was legitimate in both canon law and state law, and, and it was never reversed by Parliament. Interestingly, mm. something that's not well known. But anyway, in Mary's case, it was it was lifted. Mm. So let's talk about her reign because this was quite brutal, and as unlike during Henry's Eighth's reign. Protestantism has now had its root in England, I would, if I remember yes, correctly. So absolutely. instead of prose prosecuting Protestants, she prosecuted now Catholics. No, the other way around. Yes, oh, she, right. Yeah, the other way around. So Henry right. persecuted. Henry actually persecuted both Catholics and Protestants. Um, he ex he persecuted um, uh, Catholics who were loyal to the Pope, and he executed um, Protestants for heresy. Hmm. And so what he had them burned at the stake as heretics. Um, 
Mary revived her father's heresy laws and uh, burned, you know, 300, something like 300 Protestants at stake, greater than any monarch in Europe, uh, more savage. Um, in Europe, they actually did kill much larger numbers, but they didn't tend to actually use the, the, the law courts to do it. They were just sort of massacres and so forth. So in England, there weren't massacres, but instead she used the courts. Uh, to burn these people at stake, and it was uh, incredibly um, brutal. Um, it might have succeeded, however, because even 300 are relatively small numbers, and Protestantism hadn't really taken root. Yes, there were uh, uh, Protestants in England, but it was not, it still wasn't yet a Protestant country. Um, don't forget, Protestantism had only come in a few years earlier, a handful of years mm. earlier, and there had been this ma massive rebellion against it also during this period of you know, a handful of years between, you know, um, you know basically the, 16, uh, the, the 1550s. So, um, so, and the 1540s. And so um, it might have succeeded, but she didn't have, she didn't have a, a children. So, um it was it was these 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 deaths these horrible terrible deaths achieved nothing but you know infamy um and um elizabeth the first uh became queen on her death hmm. on mary's death and of course this, all this prostitution is how we got the famous drink bloody mary i i believe yes that was a term that was i think started to be used in the 18th century um, and it's worth remembering, I mean, uh, bloody she certainly was, and she certainly um, to take personal responsibility for those deaths. But it's worth bearing in mind as well that there had been a rebellion against Mary, where she executed very few people. Elizabeth, in her early years, there was a rebellion against her. I think 900 people were executed. Um, so Mary, Elizabeth was also quite brutal and would also, interestingly, burn heretics at the stake, something that's not well known. But heretics were her, for her were defined much more narrowly as, you know, as, as extreme Protestants, of whom there were very few in England. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's only a handful of people burned. Now, before, we go, before we go on to Elizabeth I, I want to talk about Mary Tudor's Marriage to Philip II, son of Charles V, of just briefly talked because he didn't love her, but it was quite sad when she passed away. I think she, I think he said she, he was moderately sad. I don't think he was terribly sad. She was older. She was ill. She probably wasn't very attractive. She couldn't have children. I think he respected her. Mm. I think he respected her, um, and she was a figure to respect. Um, but he didn't love her. No, I mean that's hardly surprising. What well, what were they hoping to gain by this alliance, by this marriage alliance with Philip II and Mary Tudor? Um, she wanted a, a powerful ally. I mean, it's normal to have you know you want she wanted she wanted to have a, a yes yeah, a powerful ally for England against against Spain mm. against France. Um, I mean there was they were fighting France again and during her reign. Um, but um, it's in, I mean, God knows what would have happened if if they had had children. That's quite a sort of interesting interesting thought, really. Hmm. Um, 
I wonder if uh, the, the the Spanish Netherlands, the Netherlands would have the Netherlands. I wonder if they'd had more than one child, you know, like you had the the way that the the, the Habsburgs you know, broke up. Charles V, you know, part went to one child, another went to another child, and they uh, um, you had you had Spain and the Netherlands and bits of Italy and one bit of the Habsburgs, and you had the the Holy Roman Empire and another bit. Um, what would have happened? If if they had had children, and I, I I sort of suspect there would have been one of the their children would have probably been given England and and the Netherlands. I suspect I don't know. So of course we added from the last to the Elizabeth 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 first as we talked about, but during her childhood she would seem to be kind of tucked away. She didn't have much public appearances or in the Mary the first reign. She was she did fair if I remember right. Her, Correctly, she did kind of fear for her life as well during Mary first reign. What would happen to her? Yes, well, the thing is, after Jane Grey was overthrown and indeed later executed, um, Elizabeth posed a threat to Mary. Um, Mary was well aware that Elizabeth support many of Elizabeth's supporters had supported Jane. Um, and had tried to exclude her from the throne. There were attempts on Mary's life. There were there was an invasion attempt, um, and so she didn't. She understandably did not trust Elizabeth, and I'm sure she would have excluded her from the succession if she could have done. But she knew she couldn't really. Um, there was there was nobody. I don't think that the English people would have accepted. They wanted a daughter of Henry VIII. Um, she had had support mm-hmm. as a daughter of Henry VIII. Elizabeth was also a daughter of Henry VIII. Um, and so there was nothing she could do about that. Mm. She, so could start... have, she could have had her murdered in the tower. Um, I mean, sort of thing. I think one of her, I think her male ancestors would have done that. And in, I bet you Elizabeth would have done that. And Elizabeth indeed later tried to do exactly that with her heir, Mary, Queen of Scots. Mm. Mary, Queen of Scots was in the tower. She ordered her 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 servants to murder Mary. They refused to do so. I'm sure they would have. Been, I'm sure they would have done so if she'd been Henry VIII. It's interesting again because she was a queen and not a king. They refused mm. to do so and they insisted on having Mary Queen of Scots tried, which Elizabeth did not want. Um, mm. She did not want a monarch put on trial. Uh, she wanted her murdered, and uh, so it's interesting. So Mary could have had Elizabeth murdered. Did not. Mary's male ancestors almost certainly would have had uh, Elizabeth murdered. Um, and Elizabeth herself, if she could have done, I'm sure would have had Mary Tudor murdered hmm. if this, if their positions had been reversed. So, I mean, I'm just actually it's something that's only just struck me now since we're talking. It is interesting. Mary Tudor, given what was at stake, everything was at stake, particularly for her religion, of course, for the, her faith, um, what was going to happen, that she did not have Elizabeth murdered. Interesting. Hmm. It's one of those what again one of those what if of history how different it would would have been you know would Mary Queen of Scots have taken over after Mary or would what would have happened with the legitimization of the throne would we have another civil war uh, because you know she had no successor yes, you know the fear of civil war was tremendous in England as well because people had not forgotten the horrors of the Wars of the Roses and that hung like a great shadow in England in a way that is difficult for us to remember and really understand now. Mm. So let's talk about Elizabeth I's accession to the throne. And of course, we have to, one of the biggest 
most famous is that she was the Virgin Queen, which Rihanna Drummond is a bit talked about. And of course, you mentioned her rivalry with Mary, Queen of Scots. Yes, um, although um, people know about the rivalry with Mary, Queen of Scots, but they're not so aware of uh, uh, her rivalry with her Protestant heirs, because she's seen as the great goddess of English Protestant nationalism. Uh, but this is a sort of myth. So her heir-in-law, uh, Elizabeth I, became queen because she had been made uh, Mary's successor by statute uh, during the reign of Henry VIII being illegitimate she had no right in common law she was given she was had the right of parliament parliament had given her the right statute had given her the right she had no other right and the same statute that made her mary's heir made lady jane dudley lady jane grey's sisters mm. her heir her heirs and these were protestants Lady Catherine Grey and Lady Mary Grey, who I write about extensively in my book and are usually ignored. So in the 16, um, when, when the 1560s, I'm sorry, the 1560s, <clears throat> the first decade of Elizabeth's reign, her chief rival was not Mary Queen, the Catholic Mary Queen of Scots. It was the Protestant Lady Catherine Grey, who um, she did her best, best to destroy and indeed imprisoned and made this when this girl married uh, to an entirely respectable Protestant aristocrat, made her children illegitimate, and she eventually died in custody. Uh, the same fate awaited the youngest sister, Lady Mary Grey, um, who, who never had children but was also imprisoned after her marriage. Uh, Elizabeth was determined to prevent their marriage. And actually, that's a, it's an extremely important part of Elizabeth's reign and one that's not well known because it doesn't fit in with English national myths. Um, so they're ignored and their history is conveniently forgotten. The Dudleys, I want to talk about the Dudleys for a while, not not Harry Potter family, but the Dudleys and, uh, and the, the Tudor reign because they do have an excellent biography of them written recently. And uh, they tried, they tried to win power, sort of power behind the throne, weren't they? Um, well, they certainly were during the reign of Edward the um, Sixth, and um, the, the, the sons of the then uh, of John Dudley, uh, Duke of Northumberland, uh, uh, the younger one, one of his younger ones, married um, Jane, Lady Jane Grey, and was executed as she was um, by Mary Tudor. Uh, and then, of course, famously, uh, Robert Dudley uh, was Elizabeth I's great love. Um, she couldn't marry him uh, because the Dudleys were incredibly unpopular and she would have been overthrown if she had. And he was uh, when she married, when, when she became queen, he was married to somebody else. And when the girl died, um, he was assumed to have had her murdered. Um, anyway, so Elizabeth couldn't marry him much as she wanted to. Um, and uh, so he was very powerful. I certainly wouldn't say he was the power behind the throne, but he was a very influential figure because she loved him. Hmm. So something I want to know, as you mentioned, that she was the Virgin Queen, and that's probably, again, what comes to people's mind when they hear Elizabeth I, that she was the Virgin Queen. But should she, like, unlike, and though this was two different... I want to do a little comparison here because, you know, as Catherine the Great in Russia, though it was two different centuries and different cultures, she took quite a few lovers on the bedside. Should, should, would, should Elizabeth have done the same or would that have been thrown upon as 
<laughs> it certainly would have been frowned upon and and she didn't do it and i i i suspect she was a virgin until she died mm. um and there are all sorts of unpleasant rumors uh, that put about by men needed to say but i'm um, taken up sometimes by women that uh, she couldn't that she was a virgin because she was she was physically deformed in some way and couldn't mm. have sex it was even said that she was really basically a man. People were saying this in the 1980s. It was quite extraordinary because they said she had masculine qualities because, of course, women are basically mm. so useless and stupid that um, they can't make good rulers. So she must actually have been a genetic male. It was so ridiculous. One can barely be bothered to engage with it. But, um, um, yes, um, you have to remember she was surrounded by people all the time she was never alone so it would have been extremely difficult for her to have had sex and if she had there was of course the risk of pregnancy um you know her mother had been executed she jane gray her cousin had been executed um she lived poor elizabeth i have to say she was an incredible woman but she lived in fear of her life every day um and um so and she was she was a survivor i mean she really was the fact that she survived to live and reign as long as she did was a remarkable and extraordinary achievement as a woman on her own but she realized that being a woman on her own was marginally less dangerous than being attached to a man she'd seen what had happened to Jane Grey, who had married a man, a Dudley, who people hadn't approved of. She had seen what happened to her sister, Mary Tudor, who um, his marriage to Philip of Spain had triggered a rebellion. Um, who should she marry? Who would mm. be who would it have been safe for her to marry? No mm. one. So but, and the moment when you talk about this, and it kind of makes sense as well, you write about her in the book. She, she does seem a bit paranoid as well, and you can't understand why, but she, with all these things going on in her life, and she yes. has fears yes, every think, day. If, in a way, yes. I don't know if she was paranoid. I, I mean, I think, you know, she had every reason to be wary, to be awake to the reality of the dangers with which she was constantly surrounded. Hmm. So let's talk about, you mentioned briefly, but let's talk a little more before we go to the end of the Tudors about the rivalry, speak a little more about the rivalry with Mary Queen of Scots. So we had infamously a movie in 2018 starring Margot Robbie, of course. But So let's, let's talk about the rivalry with Elizabeth I and Mary Queen of Scots. Um, yes, I think Elizabeth would have loved them to have been friends. I think... She was fascinated by this woman who, like her, was a reigning monarch, not just a queen consort, but a reigning monarch. Um, but it was just impossible, really, um, because soon Elizabeth never named her heir. And because she she spoke once about the rising sun, um, how, you know, the danger, the danger of the right people worship the rising rather than the setting sun. So if you're a sitting monarch, your heir is the rising sun. Certainly if you show any signs of illness or weakness, you're the setting sun. And the reason that she detested Lady Catherine Grey so much in the 1660s is that she was an unmarried queen with no children. And this girl, her heir-in-law, was married and had one, then two sons. Very dangerous until she destroyed her. Mary, Queen of Scots, similarly, 
um, who was imprisoned in England months after the death of Lady Catherine Grey, um, was married uh, and had uh, a son who's King of Scots, of course, um, and so posed a threat as the rising, as potentially as the rising sun. So, well, her hopes of friendship with Mary, Queen of Scots, which existed um, really before Mary had before Mary had married or had a son, um, and certainly came to a came to an end, um, just was destroyed by fear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just destroyed by fear. I mean, they could easily have met because, after all, she was she was living. Mary, Queen of Scots, was living in England, being imprisoned by her, but uh, she never did meet her. Mm. What? What had, what she must have wondered what would have been achieved by it. Mm. So let's talk about the end of Elizabeth I and what made her son James, which of course was named James. Just can you really be named James if you are anything else than James if you are a Scottish king? So, <laughs> so let's talk about his succession to the throne and the end of the Tudor dynasty. Um, yes. Um, well, I wrote a book about this called After Elizabeth, because um, I think a lot of people assume that it was just sort of, you know, Elizabeth died and then has her heir, her male heir um, in blood. James Stuart, King of Scots, became king. But actually, this was much more complex than people realised, because, as I said, he was not her heir in law. Um, the, uh, the lady, the great Lady Catherine Grey's heirs would have been. But of course, that was complicated by this time because Elizabeth had, had made Catherine Grey's sons illegitimate. So that was complicated and she had weakened them in various ways. Um, but there were other potential heirs, um, I think a dozen at least. But James was eventually chosen by, essentially by Robert Cecil, Elizabeth's leading minister, um, and a, a sort of cabal of Elizabeth's um, ministers were in touch with James and they sort of stitched things up. Uh, every, the others were all quite weakened at this time and they enabled, although it was very, very dodgy and people were very worried there was going to be a civil war that was going to break out on Elizabeth's death, but uh, they managed to pull it together um, and uh, James succeeded to the throne um, in 1603. Hmm. And that would be, of course, the end of the Tudor dynasty. And I think we're going to round it up there. Before you go, do you have anything you want to promote? Any social media where people might find you or anything you want um, me to put yes, in the description? Yes, I, web- I have a website, uh, leanderdelisle.com, L-E-A-N-D-A-D-E-L-I-S-L-E, um, which has all my various Tudor and Stuart books on it. Um, I am also on Twitter at leanderdelisle. Um uh, my latest book is is actually on Henrietta Maria, the wife of Charles I, and it's mm-hmm. a revisionary biography of a great woman who has been probably is probably England's most maligned, Britain's most maligned queen consort, because she was actually queen of England and of Scots. Sounds fascinating. I'm definitely looking forward to reading that one. Thank you so much for coming on to talk about the podcast about the Tudor dynasty on the podcast. So my name is Alan. This has been Well That Age to Well. You can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever people can find podcasts this day. If you're on iTunes, please consider writing a little review. That would help us out a lot. Also, please like, share, and subscribe. 
and I'll see you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.